Sometimes I feel so sad People think I'm so mean My heart is soft and sweet But I'm still a fighting machine What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW Fighter Fest 2023. And as you can tell from the song that I played at the beginning of this episode, you know what most of the wrestling world already knows, and that is that, sadly, Terry Funk, the hardcore icon, the WWE Hall of Famer, has passed away at the age of 79. Now, some people wanted me to talk about this on the show. However, However, because Gator Ricky Ross is a huge Terry Funk fan, I feel like anything involving Terry Funk on this show should be talked about by him. So I'm going to have Gator say more about Terry Funk on a later episode. For now, all I'm going to say is, on behalf of the Boochcast, our thoughts, our prayers, and our hearts go out to his wife, Vicky Ann, his two daughters, Stacy and Brandy, and any wrestling fan that is having a tough time dealing with this. Like I said, as far as talking about his career and stories, I'll save that for when I can have Gator back on the show. For now, I will just say, rest in peace, hardcore.
hardcore legend, Terry Funk. And now with that said, I'm going to take this time here to hit the high spots. And we're going to jump into uh, AEW Collision from this past Saturday. And of course, uh, Samoa Joe comes out to the ring. And he's about to have a one-on-one match with the Golden Vampire. However, before the bell even rings, Golden Vampire attacks him, beats him down, shoves the referee. So he pretty much calls for the bell, ends it in no contest. Next thing you know, Golden Vampire picks him up, hits him with the GTS, takes off the mask, and it's revealed to be CM Punk, who grabs a microphone and says, I accept, bitch, and drops the mic. So now we know, officially, at All In, it will be CM Punk versus Samoa Joe for the real world championship at All In. And on the one hand, I'm excited because it is CM Punk versus Samoa Joe, two of the best. And obviously, as you know, Samoa Joe stated, their legacy deserves better than a roll-up because that roll-up victory was the first time they had fought in 18 years. And obviously, as fans, we deserve better. But at the same time, all this does is remind me that Kenny Omega is a gutless turd. And I have no respect for him because if Kenny Omega had any balls, if Kenny Omega had a shred of manhood. If Kenny Omega truly respected this business and wanted to make money in it, he would swallow his fucking pride and get in the ring with CM Punk and give the fans a match that you could actually get the crowd emotionally invested in. Now, Punk and Joe is something the crowd can get emotionally invested in because of their history, but the six-man bullshit that Kenny Omega's doing, nobody's emotionally invested in that. And if you are, there's something seriously wrong with you if you're actually looking forward to what is guaranteed to be the drizzling shits, which is why I'm glad I'm not going to watch that match. And by that, I mean the six man. I'm obviously watching Punk versus Joe. Then, of course, we see uh, Jay White take on Dalton Castle. That was a hell of a great match. I enjoyed it immensely. Jay White and Dalton Castle worked very well together. Jay White, of course, is a great wrestler, great worker. You know, like I said, I'm always 50-50 on him. On a good day, he's great. On a bad day, I can't stand him. But Dalton Castle's always been incredible. Always. I've always always respected Dalton Castle because he's a great personality and great in-ring ability. And of course, afterwards, they get on the microphone and they run down Hangman Adam Page and run down Omega and run down Ibushi. And I love it because Jay White said the elite has deceived the fans. They think they are the best iteration of the Bullet Club. And I can honestly say I've never agreed with Jay White more on a statement because it's true. The elite has brainwashed a huge majority of wrestling fans into thinking not only are they the best iteration of the Bullet Club, but that they actually actually started AEW and that they actually are stars and amongst the greats because you are fucking delusional if you think any of that and I got no problem telling you that in fact if you're a fan and you honestly think the elite are worth a damn I have no problem telling you to your face that you're out of your fucking mind because the elite they were the worst part of Bullet Club they didn't start this company Cody did because Cody is the only one that had a mind for the business out of everybody in the elite because if Kenny and the Bucks had the ability to start their own company they'd have done it a long time ago but they're too fucking stupid to do this shit on their own and they were able to convince Tony Khan to drink their Kool-Aid and the company is suffering because of it so I love the fact that Jay White set the record straight with that shit and I'm sure people listen to this going you know Jay White likes them in real life I'm sure he does but this doesn't change the fact that his promo was a thousand percent accurate because the elite is full of shit and they've proven that ever since they came back from suspension that has been the proof in fact All Out is going to be in Chicago I'm I'm willing to bet none of the elite are going to show up for that pay-per-view. I guarantee you they're not going to have a match on the card. They're probably not even going to show up for the go-home dynamite, the rampage, the collision. None of it. Well, they're never going to show up on collision because 
they're not part of Collision, thank God. But you know they're not going to show up. Because they know if they show up, they're going to get booed out of the building. And they're too emotionally weak to handle that. They can't accept the fact that there are fans out there who hate their guts, and rightfully so. So they'd rather stay with their own little clicking group. And that's what makes Punk the real man in all of this. Because he's got no problem walking into a building in front of a hostile crowd. If a crowd is pro-elite, he don't give a fuck. He'll put every one of those motherfuckers in their place, and then go out there and work his match. Because Punk is a professional, the elite or not. So then they decide the guns and that they want a warm-up match. So there's a six-man tag with uh, the guns and Juice Robinson against the Iron Savages. This is a spot fest from hell, and it's to be expected because it involves Juice Robinson. I love the guns. They're a great tag team, but Juice has the ability to destroy whatever match he's in. It's just nothing about him is interesting. Then we cut to uh, another match here. We had Big Bill with Ricky Starks versus Derek Neal, which as we know, uh, Ricky Starks, uh, you know, his suspension is 30 days. He's not allowed to wrestle, but because he has a manager license, he can be a manager and go out the ring, which he does. And Big Bill hits a choke slam on Derek Neal for the win. Ricky Starks then whips Derek Neal with a belt following the match, the same belt he used to whip Ricky the Diva Steamboat. And then we find out that we are two weeks away from his suspension being up. And all I have to say is fucking bullshit, as the Iron Sheik would say. And why do I say that? Because All In is this Sunday. And on September 3rd, we have All Out. So you're basically saying Ricky Starks can't wrestle on either pay-per-view. That is fucking stupid. Ricky Starks is one of the best wrestlers in the company. He's by far one of the best talkers, definitely top five in the whole company. And you're going to make him sit out All In and All Out. That is fucking retarded. This is the shitty booking of Tony Khan, that you're going to let Ricky Starks sit this out. Although I did hear some people say online that Ricky Starks and Big Bill could be like a modern day Shawn Michaels and Diesel, and I'd be all for that. I think they would make a great team, because Big Bill, he ain't much of a talker. Ricky Starks can do it all, and Big Bill just needs to work like a big man. So I think if he had Ricky Starks to talk for him, that would help him out a lot, you know, until Big Bill gets comfortable behind the mic. And then once you got that going on, then eventually you can split them apart, and they can do their own thing, but Big Bill definitely deserves better, because they have not been booking him properly. Then again, no one seems to be able to book this guy properly. But I did enjoy the chemistry between Big Bill and Ricky Starks. Then we cut to uh, Willow Nightingale versus Diamante. And of course, Willow Nightingale has to go over because people are still drinking the Kool-Aid on her too. You know, let's let's not push Diamante, who's clearly a better worker and can clearly draw more money. Let's go with the people that the people on the internet like because that's what this company does. They don't want to make money. They just want to make noise. That's why they're called a secondary promotion. Then we cut to uh, Powerhouse Hobbs versus Kevin Koo. I have no idea who the hell this guy is. But, um, and that, by that I mean Kevin Koo. I'm, I know who Powerhouse Hobbs is. Hobbs basically beats the crap out of this guy. He's looking for Miro. And then eventually, he beats the, he beats up Kevin Koo, hits a spine buster for the win, then locks him in the accolade, and then Miro shows up and basically says that, you know, he used to rely on a book for guidance, but now he walks alone. He says he's not here to feud with his god. He's here to replace him. And Miro says redemption is coming for Hobbs at All Out. And he says, I am godless, but I know you are not because you pray to me now. And that was a stellar fucking promo. And I'm going to be honest. I didn't know Miro had it in him. I didn't. I didn't think he was capable of cutting that great of a promo. But that is probably the best promo he has ever cut in his whole career. And yes, I'm including when he was Rusev in WWE. This is Miro finally being Miro. And I am now excited for All Out. And I'm glad they're putting this on All Out. Because we got enough matches for All In already. Okay? We don't need to stack the card any more than it already is. Okay? You got to have 
stuff to put on the other pay-per-view. So that makes sense to me. Like some of these matches that are at All Out, we got, let's see, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's already nine matches on the goddamn card. Ten if you count the zero hour. So at least one of these matches could have gone to All Out. At least one of them. I don't know which one you would have picked. Maybe, I think the whole, uh, the Golden Elite versus, uh, Takesha and Bullet Club Gold, you could have put that at All Out because I don't think this needs to be there, but then again, it doesn't involve the Elite. They have to be at All In. You know, there's some of the, like I said, at least one of these matches could be on All Out, you know, because you, you don't want, like I said, you don't want to overflow the card. So I like the fact they're planning shit for All Out because that's about a week away. Like, literally, All In is the 27th, All Out September 3rd, so they're going to literally have to book shit for All Out, and that's, and Tony Khan's basically going to have to do what he always does, which is throw darts at a wall and start piling shit on at the last minute. Because one thing he has not been good at is long-term booking and building up to pay-per-views. It's literally a skill he does not possess, and it's a skill he needs to possess if he wants to be taken seriously as a booker and not just given flowers by Dave Meltzer, who praises everything non-WWE. And then we have the main event, Darby Allen versus Christian Cage. This was out of control. You know, Christian Cage, in my opinion, should have won this match. I felt like that sunset flip into a spear should have been the finish. But of course, Darby Allen has to go over because he's going into the coffin match, you know, at All In. He's at the tag team coffin match. So obviously he had to look strong for the pay-per-view. And of course, they're setting this up for, you know, Luchasaurus and Darby Allen for the TNT Championship at All Out because we already got them involved in something else at All In. So I understand why they did what they did here. And with that said, we are now going to jump into AEW Dynamite, which happened to be in my neck of the woods, Gas South Arena in Duluth, Georgia, which is the main place that AEW goes to now because State Farm Arena has become WWE exclusive. So I'm glad I got to go to the one and only AEW show that will take place at the State Farm Arena. And a lot of people are probably wondering, Boots, did you go to the show live? And the answer is no. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I simply do not have the money to go buy tickets. You know, my uh, budget's a little tight right now, so I watched it from home. Plus, I didn't see anything on this card that was worth going to see it live. And after watching Dynamite, I can honestly say I made the right decision to watch this from home. Because there were some good things that happened tonight. There were some bad things that happened tonight. But nothing on this card happened that made me say, oh man, I wish I had been there. Nothing happened to make me feel that way. So like I said, I made the right choice. Now obviously we're going to skip the opener here because it involves a bunch of stupid bullshit. And we're going to cut right to the MJF interview. Renee Paquette interviews AEW World Champion MJF, who shares his thoughts on AEW All In. He says he is chubbed up and his trunks will be tight on Sunday. MJF says he likes the British fans and he'll buy them all a pint if they cheer loud at the pay-per-view. He says the old him would BS everybody and say he wasn't feeling pressure, but he's facing a lot of pressure on Sunday. MJF says All In will be the biggest show in wrestling history and it wouldn't have happened without those who came before him. MJF name drops Hulk Hogan, John Cena, Bruno San Martino, Triple H, The Undertaker, and many other people, and says he could become a giant himself on Sunday. MJF is asked about the cracks in his friendship with Adam Cole. He says he has never had a genuine friend like Cole before, and that's not a work. MJF makes it clear that Cole has helped him grow, and they're brothers. He says brothers fight, but they hug it out at the end of the day. MJF says he has been vulnerable for the first time, and he asks fans to go on that ride with him as he promises they'll be rewarded. I loved this interview. I truly did. Because this is MJF once again reminding us all that this is a genuine babyface turn. And 
with everything that he has said, I don't care what anyone says or thinks, there is no fucking way he turns heel this Sunday. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. If he turned heel on Sunday, if he turns on Adam Cole, I'm going to tell you right now, he will be the most hated man in wrestling. But once he turns heel, he will never get become a face again. Never. This is MJF's one shot to be a genuine baby face. And as I've said before, it's time. MJF was a phenomenal heel. Probably one of the best heels in the history of wrestling. But in order to truly be the man, in order to truly be the best, in order to truly be one of the greats, you have to be able to pull off both heel and baby face. Because to me, the best in the world have been able to do both. And you should be able to do both if you want to truly call yourself a great wrestler, great sports entertainer, whatever you want to call it. If you can excel at both, that makes you better than the ones that can only excel at one dimension. And MJF is proving he is not one dimensional. And I love the fact that he name dropped great names. And he's not afraid to do that. You know, he's he's not one of those fucking marks that's afraid to mention that Hulk Hogan is one of the greatest of all time. And that he is truly a giant in professional wrestling. There's a lot of marks today that want to act like he isn't because they want to sound cool or they want to impress their black friends. But the fact of the matter is Hulk Hogan put wrestling on the map. He laid the foundation for everything that exists in wrestling today. Now, there have been stars over the years that have elevated it to another level, and I don't begrudge them. I'm not blind to that. But to pretend that Hulk Hogan isn't one of the greatest ever or try to reduce his carbon footprint in the world of wrestling makes you delusional and stupid. John Cena, he's also up there. Bruno San Martino, he's also up there. Hell, all three of those guys are on what I call the true Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling. The fourth guy, of course, being Stone Cold Steve. Austin. And of course, he mentioned Triple H and The Undertaker. They're also big names. I wouldn't put them on the Mount Rushmore, but they're definitely one of the all-time greats. And MJF wants to put his name alongside them. And he's well on his way. A win and all-in could solidify that for him. And I think when his career is over, he will be one of the greatest to ever step foot in that ring. He's already doing a lot at the age he's at right now. And I'll tell you right now, I'll put out a challenge. I think if he does decide to go to WWE in the bidding war of 2024, I think he'll crush it there too. I think MJF could make it in the WWE. I really do. I think he could make it. He might have some obstacles to overcome, but eventually they will be forced to give him the ball because that's how talented he is. And I'm actually pulling for him at all in this Sunday. And I'd be even more excited to see him with two belts because I want them to win the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles as well because I feel like they would put some star power behind those titles because Aussie Open sure as fuck ain't doing it. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We got John Moxley one-on-one against Ray Phoenix. This was a brutal fucking match. I will say that. Moxley did a great job keeping Phoenix on the ground. We didn't see too many fucking, you know, spot monkey bullshit. You know, Moxley got a few dives and stuff in there, but he kept everything grounded as much as possible, which is hard to do with any of the Lucha Brothers because if they can't do the Lucha shit, they have no usefulness. But in the end, Moxley hits a uh, paradigm shift off the top rope, which we thought that was going to end it, but holy shit, it gave him a two count, which I thought was fucking dumb. Then he locks in a sleeper hold and chokes him out. So Moxley got the win, but I felt like the Avalanche Death Rider, the Paradigm shit, whatever the fuck we're calling it now, that should have ended it. That should have been the end of the match. That should have been the finish. You didn't need the sleeper. Why? Why do we need to do that? Again, this is them overdoing the choke out finish and not using it at proper times, especially with what we find out later in the evening. Because after this, the Blackpool Combat Club comes out and they attack Phoenix. Eddie Kingston and Pentagon come out, but Ortiz comes out and stops 
them. He then is joined by the returning Santana, and they lay them out and get in the ring. Then Orange Cassidy and the best friends join the fight and fend off the Blackpool Combat Club and Proud and Powerful. They leave. And then the medical officials come out check on Phoenix because they took him out with the crowbar, and he gets taken out on a stretcher. He's loaded into the ambulance, which drives away. Renee Paquette tries to get a word in with Eddie Kingston, who blames John Moxley and says he'll fix it at AEW All In. And of course, he doesn't want to talk to Renee because he knows Renee is married to John Moxley. But despite the fact that Renee is married to John, she's still an interviewer and she's still doing her job. There's no bias with her. She's interviewing anybody and everybody regardless. She's there to do a job. She doesn't allow her marriage to Moxley to get in the way of her conducting business. In fact, the only time she does is that the other person makes it personal. If you don't cross the line, she won't. That's her policy. But I will say I'm glad to see a proud and powerful back in AEW. And especially now that they're turning heel, they're basically turning on Eddie Kingston. And now they're joining up with the Blackpool Combat Club for this match. But that's only five people. And it's supposed to be like six on six. So to make it even, we find out that Ray Phoenix has been taken out of the match. So he will not be featured in the all-in stadium stampede. It's just going to be Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy, the best friends, and Pentagon against the Blackpool Combat Club and Proud and Powerful. So it's now five on five instead of six on six. So again, I ask the question, why do the chokeout? The only way that makes sense is if you plan on bringing Ray Phoenix back and having him and Moxley fight it all out. And they're going to have some type of gimmick match. So unless you plan on bringing back Ray Phoenix for all out, you might as well just let him hit that avalanche paradigm shift and pin him one, two, three and end it. So this makes no fucking sense. So obviously I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens after all in. If Ray comes back and decides to face Moxley at all out, then I can excuse this. But if that's not happening, then the chokeout was fucking worthless. Next, we cut to Sammy Guevara, who was asked about saving Chris Jericho last week. Then Matt Menard, Angelo Parker, and Daniel Garcia confront him. Guevara says Jericho's been his friend from the start, so he has to be there for him. Parker questions whether Jericho would do the same for him. Now, obviously, this shit is ridiculous, and nothing about this segment made my nipples hard. But I'm just gonna say this. When Menard, Parker, and Garcia come out, they point out the fact that Jericho originally said yes to joining the Don Callis family, and that the only reason he didn't was because he saw the painting and the beatdown, which I understand. On the one hand, that does make sense, because Jericho was gonna do it. Then as soon as he saw the painting, and him and Don Callis had that back and forth, that ended. If he never saw the painting, he'd be part of the Don Callis family. And they're saying that's the reason why Sammy shouldn't align with Chris Jericho. But at the same time, this makes the three of them look stupid, Menard, Parker, and Garcia, because the reason Jericho said yes to the Don Callis family is because the Jericho Appreciation Society walked out on him. All three of you guys, Menard, Parker, and Garcia, basically said, we're done with you, Chris. You're not appreciating us, so we're gonna leave. And Sam was the only one that said, I'll have your back, but you need to get your shit together, and I'll be waiting, and that's when he left. So if you walk out on somebody, you shouldn't be surprised if they choose to go with the other person. Because if you walk out on somebody, when you give up on somebody, you're basically saying, I don't give a fuck what you do anymore. That's the message you are sending, whether you realize it or not. You don't get to walk out on somebody and then question their choices. You don't get to break up with somebody and then get mad if they go and date or fuck somebody else. You lost your right to be upset about that the moment you ended the relationship. Or, if you decide not to do business with someone anymore, you can't get mad if they go out and do business with someone else. See, people have this delusional idea in their heads that once you break up with somebody, or you fire somebody, or you decide not to be friends with
Zone anymore. You expect those people to be sitting on their couch crying their eyes out and not wanting to live anymore because they don't have you in their life. And it bothers you when they're able to move on. You handed them the scissors. So why are you mad they cut you off? I never understood that. It's fucking stupid. I'm the type of person, if I break up with someone, if I stop doing business with someone, if I end a friendship with someone, once it is over, I no longer give a single fuck about what you do in your life. In fact, the only time I have a problem with it is if you try to manipulate one of my friends against me. Then I'll have a fucking problem. But as long as you're as far away from me as humanly possible, I don't give a shit. When I'm done with somebody, I'm done. Out of sight, out of mind, I'm moving the fuck on. So as far as I'm concerned, Menard, Parker, and Garcia are in no position to tell Sammy what to do. None. Jericho joined the Don Callis family because you guys walked out on him. So you don't get to complain. But of course, Sammy does have to ask Jericho the question, would you do the same for me? And I would be intrigued to see if Jericho does. Because obviously this will lead to a feud between Jericho and Garcia if Garcia realizes that his friendship with Jericho is not a two-way street. Speaking of Jericho, we now cut to the contract signing between him and Will Osprey. Chris Jericho alongside Sammy Guevara and Will Osprey is alongside Don Callis as they come to the ring to sign the contract for the match at All In. Callis explains his actions as he wanted to be the one responsible for taking Jericho out. He says he chose Will Osprey over Jericho. Osprey takes the microphone and questions if Jericho is taking the match seriously. Osprey says the match will change his life. He emphasizes the importance of All In. Osprey acknowledges that his contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling is up in six months, and he stands to make millions. He also talked about trying to make as much money as possible to put his child through school. That's why he's doing an indie show the day before All In. He goes on to say he's better than Punk and Jericho, and then signs the contract. Jericho says Osprey wouldn't be at this point without him. He recalls how he told Osprey to change his ring style to protect his body so he wouldn't end up in a wheelchair like everyone else thought he would back when he was nobody. Jericho says All In is one of the biggest shows of his career as it's bigger than WrestleMania and bigger than any Tokyo Dome. Jericho says Osprey will have to prove himself. Tensions rise and the two stars have to be separated. It's also worth noting that Jericho also said that he does take this match very seriously and the reason Osprey doesn't think he is is because apparently at All In and we found out this um, through the dirt sheets. Apparently Jericho is going to have his band Fozzie there and they're actually going to perform Judas at All In. So Osprey thinks he's not taking it seriously because he's also bringing his band. But it turns out Jericho is. He also said that originally in 2021 Jericho and Osprey were supposed to fight in the Tokyo Dome. At the time Jericho was working part time with New Japan. But because of the COVID lockdown that match got cancelled. But he said now there's no lockdown anymore. Now you have to face me. And I enjoy Jericho's promo immensely. Osprey, I could barely understand a word he's saying with that fucking accent, but he did have some emotion and some passion in him. I like that Jericho got Osprey to tone his shit down, because even from the shit that I'm seeing, he clearly needs to tone that shit down. I'm hoping Jericho will be able to carry him to a good match, but like I said, I'm not on the Osprey bandwagon. He, he seems to me as another one of those reckless guys who has no psychology or storytelling. And if you don't have psychology or storytelling, I can't acknowledge you as a great wrestler. I can't. You're just a reckless spot monkey, which apparently Osprey used to be. Jericho says he's not anymore. We'll find out this Sunday. Next, we cut to Adam Cole has an interview. He discusses his friendship with MJF and says he thinks the world of him professionally. He says MJF helped him find himself again. Cole explains that MJF helped him find himself and see who he really is again. He makes it clear that he needs to win. The cracks in his friendship with MJF come up. Cole storms off as he says he doesn't understand why people don't get that two people can be friends. Cole says there are no issues with him and Max and he walks away. Now, 
Now, I'm going to be honest, because of this, I'm getting nervous. Because I'm worried that Adam Cole is getting too defensive and that he might have a heel turn planned up his sleeve. Because we're all convinced at this point, if this team is going to break up, Adam Cole is going to be the one to turn on MJF. Adam Cole is going to be the one to go heel. But here's the thing. I don't want him to go heel. I want this team to stay together. I want them to win the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles and then go to the main event as the tag team champions when they fight for the world title. Now, there may come a day when this team breaks up, but it shouldn't be anytime soon because it's money. And you don't walk away from money and you don't walk away from something while it's still hot and popular. You wait until it's run its course and then you end it. And this is far from running its course. So they need to stay the course and rank in those dollar dollar bills. And then we move on to the next match of the evening. We have a tornado tag team match. Darby Allen and Nick Wayne versus Swerve Strickland and AR Fox. This was a fucking spot fest from hell. That's all the fuck this was. Everybody being reckless. Everyone being crazy. Nothing interesting to see here. This was everything I knew it was going to be. Until Wayne stacks up Fox and pins him as Allen holds Strickland back. So Nick Wayne gets a pinfall victory over AR Fox as they manage to win the match. And it was good because obviously, you know, Nick Wayne's getting the pinfall. So elevates him. And it was good for AR Fox to eat the pin because of what happens next. Because now it doesn't hurt the coffin match. And Darby and Swerve both still look strong going into the coffin match this Sunday. Because Strickland says he's disappointed in Fox. He calls him a loser and says he couldn't even beat a kid. He says he blew his opportunity. Strickland says he can't trust Fox at all in. Prince Nana fires him from the Mogul Embassy. Brian Cage attacks Fox. Alan Wayne and Sting make the save. Alan helps Fox up and says he loves him. Alan asks Strickland who he has for AW All In. Strickland laughs. Luchasaurus alongside Christian Cage comes out. Cage addresses Nick Wayne and brings up his dad who passed away. He insults Wayne's father and calls his father a talentless hack. Cage says if Wayne plays his cards right, Wayne will end up with him as his mentor. So Christian Cage gets added to the match. So now it will be Swerve and Christian versus Darby Allen and Sting. Which, I'm going to be honest, makes better sense. Because Christian's a star and you want to put the star on the pay-per-view to draw money. But obviously with AR Fox, you know, that hit home a little bit. You know, saying, why are you always such a loser? And beating his ass. So hopefully at some point there can be a resurgence for AR Fox. I do find it kind of weird that Darby Allen was quick to forgive him. But his reasoning made sense. You know, he always remembers the fact that AR Fox trained him and took him in when he was homeless. So he's going to say, I never forgot that. And like I said, it's going to be an interesting change of pace, but I've never seen a tag team coffin match before, and I'm intrigued to see how that ends. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got Ruby Soho one-on-one against Sky Blue. This was a, it was a decent match. I'll just say that. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was kind of in the middle. Obviously, Sky Blue improving all the time. Great to see in the ring. Uh, Her and Ruby Soho worked very well together, although there were a few moments where I felt some of the pacing was off, but not enough to make me hate it. In fact, I'm only pointing it out because that was the one, like, flaw I saw in the match. It just didn't excite me. And I think the reason it didn't excite me was because it was just a match. That's all it was. It was basically filler. And that's not a knock on the women's division. That's all it was. There was no, you know, reason or rhyme. It was just there to fill the time and entertain the crowd. Although after the match, uh, Ruby So says she has her eyes on TBS champion Chris Statlander. So apparently she wants to become the TBS champion. Can't say that I blame her, and I would love to see her have it because I think Ruby Soho would bring way more value and star power to that title than fucking Chris Statlander. And it would also help, especially if either Tony Storm or Soraya 
wins the AEW women's title because then they can have both belts in the outcasts. I think that'd be great. As I mentioned before, I want to see Soraya win at All In. I think Soraya deserves it. Then we have a brief interview where Roger Song says at the end of the day, we'll find out who the real MJF is and who the real Adam Cole is at All In. And, you know, the Roderick Strong thing is getting fucking annoying. I really hope after All In, this whole thing gets put to bed. Now, obviously, Roger Strong says we're going to know who the real MJF and Adam Cole is because he wants to keep us in suspense on which one of these two is going to turn on the other. Like I said, I don't think either one of them is doing a heel turn and neither one of them should. But I just hope after this is over, they put this whole matter to bed. Or Roderick Strong finally takes that fucking neck brace off and he has a feud with Adam Cole or MJF for that matter. And maybe, like, they go and get a third partner and take on Roddy and the Kingdom. I'd love to see that. Or maybe they have MJF and Adam Cole take on the Kingdom with Roddy in their corner. And who knows, maybe Kyle O'Reilly could make a return and help out MJF and Cole. Or maybe they can re-sign Bobby Fish and he could join up. There's a million different scenarios they can do with this. But as long as MJF and Adam Cole remain a team and walk out with the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles, that's all that matters. Next, we cut to the acclaimed that come out to the ring. No raps, no bullshit, basically in street clothes. And they call out the House of Black. The World Trios champions come out and they attack the acclaimed. Billy Gunn all of a sudden comes out and makes the save. He grabs the microphone and calls walking out on the acclaimed in his career two of the hardest things he's ever had to do. But he was fine with it. He was ready to retire. He was ready to move on. But Gunn says when the House of Black attacked the Acclaim, destroyed his boots, they fired him up. Because he has a 32-year legacy in professional wrestling, and the House of Black pissed all over it, and Gunn cannot accept that. So he has decided to challenge them to a trios match at All In, but he says fun-loving daddy ass isn't coming to London. But a badass Billy Gunn will, and the crowd popped. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, I had tears in my eyes during that promo because badass Billy Gunn is the Billy Gunn we all know. The Billy Gunn that entertained us in DX and the New Age Outlaws and even by himself. Billy Gunn is truly one of the best. Hell, I was surprised he didn't try to become the one Billy Gunn. Maybe he would try doing that. Hell, I wish he could come out to, I'm an ass man. I would love to see him come out to that in, in London, but I know WWE would not allow that to happen. I'm pretty sure it's a WWE trademark owned uh, name. And I also know that the Acclaim is going to come out and rap because it's going to be London. So I don't know how they're going to do the acclaimed have arrived. He might go scissor me badass. I don't know if they're going to do that. Or they might just do the acclaimed have arrived and maybe they do the scissor after the match. That's what I would do. I think Billy Gunn's going to be like, look, I want to focus on this right now. I don't want to fuck around. And obviously the world trios championships are going to be on the line. And even though I've mentioned this before and I will say it again, I would much rather see Billy Gunn go for the world title. I think he deserves a run as a world heavyweight champion. I feel like they need to win the trios titles. They have to win it all in. You can't have them lose the House of Black and let that be the end of Billy Gunn. I think he still has more to give to the company, so Billy can't go out like that. I think that they need to win the trios titles. And I know I said before, I don't want to see Billy Gunn in a trios title run, but the way this is set up, they have to. Unless they lose and Billy 
turns on the acclaimed, goes solo, and starts grabbing solo gold. I'll accept that as well. And on that note, we move on to the main event of the evening for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles. Aussie Open defends the titles against the Hardys. Why? What the fuck was the point of this? This was a stupid main event, and I'm going to tell you why. Because we knew that Aussie Open is not going to lose the titles on the go-home show. We also know that if by some miracle the Hardys did win the ROH Tag Team Titles, they're not going to suddenly drop them to MJF and Adam Cole. So that means the Hardys would retain, and there'd be some kind of dissension between Adam Cole and MJF, which would fuel the main event for All In. So I knew Aussie Open was going to win, and it was fucking embarrassing. Then again, it's the Hardys. At this stage in their career, they're fucking embarrassing. So afterwards, Aussie Open cuts a promo. They vow to beat Adam Cole and MJF at All In. MJF and Adam Cole come out and brawl with Aussie Open. Mark Davis evades the double clothesline. Cole goes for a kick, but Fletcher ducks, so he nearly hits MJF. MJF catches the kick, and they stare each other down. MJF raises his world title. Cole extends his hand. MJF brushes by him. He grabs his dynamite diamond ring and teases hitting Cole with it. He then takes off the ring, puts it in his pocket. They hug, and they pose for the crowd. Okay, I love this post-match promo fight and everything else. This was better than the actual main event match because it set everything up, and we're now ready for zero hour, but it also set us up for the main event with the almost accidental kick from Adam Cole. So I thought Cole was legit going to super kick him. I didn't expect MJF to catch it, but I'm glad he did. And then having the stare down and the, you know, brushing him off, contemplating turning on him, then hugging it out. It's like, okay, this right here was a perfect blend of building the tag title match and building the world title match at the same time. And that's the genius of MJF and Adam Cole. They found a way to hype up the crowd that they're going to be tag team champions while also hyping up the crowd that they're going to kill each other for that world title. The blend was brilliant and I loved every second of it. They managed to get me excited for the pre-show and the main event of the main card. For the first time in my life as a wrestling fan, I am actually looking forward to the pre-show. And you guys have heard me say before, I don't look at the pre-show. I don't care about the pre-show. Anytime I've watched the pre-show, it was just to have it on the TV while I set up, you know, my snack area. You know, get my food, get my drinks, my snackages, get myself either laying in my bed or in my recliner. Or if I'm doing a Twitch watch party, we leave it on to give people time to join us in the chat room before the pay-per-view. You know, we're setting everything up. We got the pre-show on just so we're ready. But even during the pre-show, we're just talking, yakking, hanging out with each other. We're not paying attention, really. This, I'm actually going to pay attention to. I'm actually going to watch the Zero Hour. And because it's in England, I don't have to stay up all night doing the editing and the recap like I normally do for NXT and AEW. Because Zero Hour starts at noon, pay-per-view starts at 1. Even if it goes 4 hours, that means it'll end around 4 or 5 o'clock. That means I can record around 6-ish. And then by the time I'm done editing it and everything, it'll be time to go to bed. I won't have to pull a crazy all-nighter like I normally do. And it's actually convenient. Not bad. I, I do say so myself. So before we officially wrap this up, let's go down the card for All In. We got Aussie Open versus MJF and Adam Cole for the ROH Tag Team Titles at zero hour. I'm pulling for MJF and Adam Cole to win those Tag Team Titles. Then we got the AEW World Tag Team Titles. FTR defending against the Young Bucks. Because of the Elite Rule, I will be skipping this match, but I pray to God F FTR better win. FTR better win this fucking match. And I really hope that the incident with Cash Wheeler doesn't affect them keeping the belts because it doesn't look like Cash Wheeler's going to jail. Obviously, the crime wasn't crazy enough to prevent him from flying out of the country. So I think FTR should keep the belts. Now, if it looked like FTR were going to go to jail or Cash Wheeler in this case was going to go to jail, then from
from a booking standpoint, I would understand dropping the belts to the Bucks. I don't like the Bucks. I would not be happy if they won, but I wouldn't be able to argue with the reasoning. But because it looked like Cash Wheeler's arrest is going to affect anything, FTR needs to win. Because fuck the Young Bucks. They're not the best in the world. As I said before, they don't even belong in the conversation. And if you try to bring them into the conversation, you will be asked politely yet firmly to leave the conversation. Then we got the AEW Women's Title Match, a fatal four-way. Hikaru Shida defends against Tony Storm, Soraya, and Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. I'm pulling for Soraya because she's the only one here that's never won the women's title, and she's a major star, and it's in England where she lives, so Soraya deserves the win. Then we got the tag team coffin match, Darby Allen and Sting versus Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage. Darby Allen and Sting are winning this one. Who am I kidding? That, that, you, you're crazy if you think they're losing this match. Then we got the six-man tag, the Golden Elite versus Takeshna and Bullet Club Gold. The Elite rules in effect. I don't have to, I don't have to watch this fucking thing. Pretty sure Golden Elite's gonna win. If I had to choose, I'd rather have Takeshi and Bullet Club Gold, but again, I don't have to care. Next, we got the Stadium Stampede match. We got Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy, The Best Friends, and Pentagon versus Blackpool Combat Club and Proud and Powerful. I'm pulling for the BCC and Proud and Powerful. Then we got Will Ospreay with Don Callis versus Chris Jericho. I would love to see Jericho win, but I got a weird feeling they're gonna give this to Will fucking Osprey, and I'm not happy about it. Then we got the real world title. CM Punk defends against Samoa Joe. I'm going with CM Punk. Because I don't think he's losing that belt anytime soon. And I strongly think he's going to hold on to it until he eventually merges that belt with MJF or Adam Cole, depending on who wins the main event. And then we have the trios title match. House of Black versus Billy Gunn and the Acclaimed. Billy Gunn and the Acclaimed. I'm going with them. They need the win. Then we got the AEW world title match. MJF defends against Adam Cole. I'm pulling for MJF. And I think him and CM Punk need to have another match to determine who the actual champion is and merge those belts together. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this recap of AEW. I thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Make sure you guys check out the Mail Soap Opera Moments, see our predictions for SummerSlam, find out who was right and who was wrong, and be on the lookout for our recap of WWE SummerSlam coming soon to the Boochcast Facebook page. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. I am currently working on the research for Dark Side of the Ring this upcoming season. I already have the tragic fall of Adrian Adonis recorded. That'll come out at a later date. And I plan on recording the Bam Bam Bigelow, the Beast from the East episode with Zach next week and we're going to get the other ones recorded as well and they'll be coming soon to the YouTube channel so in the meantime go down there check out what we got and be ready to see the new stuff and of course make sure you follow us on Twitch go to twitch.tv slash the boochcast that's where we do our live wrestling watch parties our next watch party will be Saturday November the 25th for WWE Survivor Series uh, we're currently working the kinks out making sure the team can get together and give you guys a watch party because sadly I will not be able to attend the watch party as I will be in Winston-Salem North Carolina 
with Buff Bagwell on the 24th and 25th of November for WrestleCade. So make sure you guys, uh, if you're in the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area, come on down, say hi to us, and buy some Buff merch. And of course, if you're not in the North Carolina area and plan on watching the Survivor Series, go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast and hang out with the Boochcast team. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle and no special project in the works. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we have the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, you got to where to put that $9.99. $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content than Network and unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying through credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him late. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.